Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to the Fireside of Horror. This is the Halloween episode of Fireside. I've been so excited to do this for a long time because... As I've been saying in the last couple of episodes, October, Halloween is the most folklore time of the year. And I started this podcast last November, so I missed out on a chance to do a Halloween special last year. And I was very much looking forward to doing one this year. This episode is going to be a very different departure to a normal, the normal structure of an episode. But I'll be very interested to see how it works and do let me know your thoughts on this because normally, normally, and normally, normally I take a story from folklore mythology, retell it myself, and then chat about that story. But here, I decided that for the Halloween special, I would take different other stories. I would look around for my favorite and the best Halloween stories there are from poetry, from literature, from folklore, from music. And to give you a little taster of some of those here. So this Halloween special, we have a Halloween poem. We have an extract from a Halloween novel. We have a short story and we have a song. And these are all things that mean a great deal about to me. And really just give a huge impression of each one of these has had a huge influence, I believe, on either folklore storytelling or on Halloween. And I just hope you'll enjoy listening to rather than my adaptations and ramblings of folk stories and silly tales, which obviously I'm very proud of and love doing it. And here we're going to have some of the great masterpieces of literature. And they're all, they're all still very... They all are very rooted in folklore and mythology, there's no doubt. I mean, they definitely still fit fit this podcast, I feel. But they are some of the masterpieces we have, and I can't wait to do them. We're going to start off with uh, one of the most... First of all, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're very welcome. This will be a very different kind of episode, but I hope you enjoy it. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Please do come to our live show, the Fireside Sessions, on November 10th, Sunday, November 10th, here in the brand new podcast studios venue at Headstuff in Dublin. Uh, tickets are available at Ticketmaster.ie. It will be an evening of storytelling, of folklore, mythology, some true tales and music. It will be a BYOB evening. Come for a winter's evening of storytelling, of tales, tunes and a tipple right here in the podcast studios, November 10th at 7pm. It's a Sunday and tickets are available at Ticketmaster.ie. That was a much faster, clearer plug than the ones I've given over the last couple of weeks. Tickets are very limited but there are still some available. Or perhaps there won't by the time this comes out. Maybe not, but hopefully there will if you do want to come along. But we are going to begin the, the Fireside Halloween special with one of the most famous poems of all time. Not just Halloween poem. This is just one of the most famous pieces of poetry from one of the world's most famous authors, one of America's most celebrated authors. This is The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. The Raven Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, 
While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it. It was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my book's surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is, and nothing more.' Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, uh, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, Long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before, but the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with a many flirt and flutter, in stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon the bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Thou, thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, Art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore? Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marvel this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, Caught from some unhappy master whom merciful disaster Followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, Till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore Of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling, all my fancy into smiling, Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door, Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, Fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, What this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore Meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burnt into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press, ah, nevermore. 
Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of the Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels named Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or Fiend, I shrieked, upstarting, get thee back into the tempest of the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thou soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. And that was The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. I hope you enjoyed that. That was such... I, like, that was a real personal treat for me. Because I know, like, so few people who listen to this podcast who don't know me personally, who would only know me from this, would, uh, would be very surprised me doing something like that, I suppose. <laughs> It's such a departure from, it's such a different kind of thing to do, but obviously very linked with all the stuff we talk about as well. I've basically, I've wanted to do, I've wanted to perform The Raven since I was a kid. I've been obsessed with that poem most of my entire life. I remember being very small and my older brother, Kieran came in to read me a bedtime story. And it was that poem. And he read me the whole thing. And I never really forgot it since. I was definitely too young to be hearing it at the time, but it really, really stayed with me. I think he got it from... It's, of course, in the very first Treehouse of Horror episode of The Simpsons, uh, where they do an, a, an abridged adaptation of it with James Earl Jones reading it. Indeed, there are fantastic versions out there. I was only listening to a Christopher Lee version of it just for some of the pronunciations of uh, some of the more classical words in there. This is so. This was a very this was a very personal one. I want to think. I just think it's one of the greatest stories ever as well because it's obviously it's a narrative. It's a you know it's a it's a monologue basically. It's you know it 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 doesn't do a total justice to call it a poem. Like and Poe was very explicit on that. It is a full on narrative. This is dialogue between him and the Raven, the student as he's known as, and you have this character here and he's. He's he's studying in his home. He's he's lost his girlfriend. His girlfriend or his love has died, Lenore, and he is haunted by this raven. And one of the greatest things about is like it's about his descent into madness, of course. And if if he is imagining this, or if he isn't, a uh, isn't is almost less less the point because. Here he doesn't want to know answers to questions that he asks, but he still does ask them. He doesn't, he knows that the raven can only ask, answer this one 
thing, but he still wants to ask these questions about who are you, who sent you, will I ever see my lost love again? And it's just so dark and so gothic and so wonderful. And it's such an incredible display of this descent into tortured madness that Edgar Allan Poe lived. He lived a life of this. Um, the raven, like... And in terms of the folklore and mythology, the raven itself is so significant. The raven being my favorite animal of all time, as I've said a few times on this. Um, the raven is so big, like in going right back to, uh, so like, for example, off the top of my head, so Hebrew, Hebrew folklore, you have uh, the raven was originally white and Noah sent a raven up uh, on the ark to let them know whether uh, the floods were subsiding and the raven discovered that they were and then he didn't come straight back so God punished him by turning him black for the rest of eternity. In Norse mythology you have Hunan and Munan. That's terrible. I've totally plucked those. It is something very like that. It's uh, Odin has two ravens and they represent thought and memory. And of course, in our very own Irish folklore and mythology, you have the Morrigan who appears in raven form to uh, over battlefields to tell of the, the death upcoming of, of people in battle. And Edgar Allan Poe was definitely drawing on all of those things he he picked uh, Raven specifically because it was in the Charles Dickens novel Barnaby Rudge, and ravens are capable of of speech, much like parrots, because they're so intelligent. That's one of the best things about them. Corvids in general are uh, they they reckon that a raven has about the intelligence of a seven year old child, that they're capable of uh, they're they're capable of mourning, um, their social. They are ravens have been known to pass down possessions and um, they've known like they like they have family possessions so like if even if it's like a stick or a rock or something that have been passed down generation to generation which is what culture is so ravens and corvids have culture and these are all things that that poe draws from in this and the raven is just the symbol of poe's entire writing career and he's just one of the greatest symbols of halloween because of that and it was a great joy to do that and to really indulge in getting to read such a delicious fun piece it's it's a juggernaut not just in length but just in the language and in the amount of rhyme in it the amount of things he gets to rhyme with door in that Lenore floor door (laughs) throughout and the internal rhyme throughout it I loved I loved doing that so much and I hope you enjoy that but next we move on to something. So over the past month, I've been trying to read read as much uh, as many different Halloween kind of gothic horror themed books that I could. And I found an incredible, um, if anyone subscribes to Audible, there is, um, there's a thing you can get from Audible called the Monster Collection where it's just one Audible credit. If you don't, if you like this podcast and you don't um, subscribe to Audible, I would recommend it more than Spotify, more than Netflix. I absolutely swear by it. I do, I love I love audiobooks so much. Uh, it was one of the main reasons I wanted to do a podcast was because I adore listening to audiobooks, and I wanted to kind of create like short form podcasts are like short form audiobooks, or the ones the ones that I uh, one that I would like to do certainly, and. In the Monster Collection, you have three of the great monster books. So you have Jekyll and Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, you have Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, and you have Bram Stoker's Dracula. And each of them are read by different authors. Uh, You have uh, Richard Armitage uh, reading Jekyll and Hyde, um, Dan Stevens reading Frankenstein, and Greg Weiss, I think is his name, is reading Dracula. And each of them are incredible. They're brilliant books. Uh, Frank and, like Jekyll and Hyde is a brilliant, brilliant novel. It's very, very short. It's only about three hours long, I think. So if you're looking for a short thing, it's it's brilliant, and the descriptions in it. Frankenstein is absolutely wonderful. It's it's one of those books that I don't think could be less like what you imagine Frankenstein. Frankenstein, more than any other uh, horror property, is more known from its film adaptations in terms of visuals and 
just even for example like when you think of Frankenstein you obviously think of the tall green monster boats at the side of his head older mad scientist living in a big castle no like Victor Frankenstein was a young student he's 24 when he creates the, the creature he creates it when he's college um, the creature is, is incredibly capable of speech of reason of rationale and it's just it's just a great great story but what we're going to talk about here is the OG, the daddy, the daddy of them all. We're going to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because Bram Stoker didn't invent vampires, but he did, he did mastermind. He created the masterpiece of vampire literature that was like instantly famous in his time. Like straight away there were stage adaptations of it upon its publication. And it was something that was long overdue me reading. It was only it's it's only a very recent book that I read this month, and I was gonna I was debating on doing sections from different novels, but then when I wanted to do a few different things, I thought I'd just do one one extract, and so I decided to pick Dracula because it's really it 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 has been such a fantastic book to read, and because Bram Stoker, like he's an Irish writer. It's always the funniest thing. He's from Clontarf, and like we have the Bram Stoker Festival here in in Dublin, and this Irish man created created possibly the most the most iconic Halloween costume of all time. You know, Frankenstein and Dracula; these are the most famous uh, creatures there are. And Frankenstein and Dracula is a book I would recommend to everyone. It is written in an incredibly interesting way. Uh, in that it's all journal entries and newspaper extracts and letters to and from. So you have loads of different perspectives in it. And so it was interesting to find something that worked out of context. So I'll give a bit of context for the section I'm going to read. But uh, just this short piece from it that anyone who hasn't read it, uh, to give you a sample of what the book is like. Because it's long. It is a long book, but it's really, really good. And there's obviously never a better time to read it than around Halloween so this uh, this is the log of the Demeter. Uh, basically, early on in the novel, a ship is found shipwrecked, and uh, with no with none of the crew aboard, and the only thing that is found on board is the ship's log. So this is the log of the Demeter from Dracula. <laughs> Varna to Whitby. Written 18th of July. Things so strange happening that I shall keep accurate note henceforth till we land. On 6th July, we finish taking in cargo, silver sand and boxes of earth. At noon, set sail. East wind, fresh. Crew, five hands, two mates, cook, and myself, captain. On 11th July, at dawn, entered Bosphorus, boarded by Turkish customs officer. Bakshish. All correct. Underway at 4pm. On 12th of July, through Dardanelles, more customs officers in flagboat of guarding squadron. Bakshish again. Work of officers through, but quick. Want us off soon. On 13th of July, past Cape Matapan. Crew dissatisfied about something. Seemed scared, but would not speak out. On 14th July, was somewhat anxious about crew. Men all steady fellows who sailed with me before. Mate could not make out what was wrong. They only told him there was something and crossed themselves. Mate lost temper with one of them that day and struck him. Expected fierce quarrel, but all was quiet. On 16th of July, Mate reported in the morning that one of the crew, Petrovsky, was missing. Could not account for it. Took larboard watch eight bells last night. Was revealed by Amramov but did not go to bunk. Men more downcast than ever. All said they expected something of the kind, but would not say more than there was something aboard. Mate getting very impatient with them, feared some trouble ahead. On 17th of July, yesterday, one of my men, Olgarin, came to my cabin and in an awestruck way confided to me that he thought there was a strange man aboard the ship. He said that in his watch he had been sheltering behind the deckhouse as there was a rainstorm when he saw a tall, thin man 
who was not like any of the crew, come into the companionway and go along the deck forward and disappear. He followed cautiously, but when he got to bows found no one, and the hatchways were all closed. He was in a panic of superstitious fear, and I am afraid the panic may spread. To allay it, I shall today search the entire ship carefully from stern to stern. Later in the day I got together the whole crew and told them, as they evidently thought there was someone on the ship, we would search from stern to stern. First mate angry, said it was folly, and to yield to such foolish ideas would demoralize the men, said he would engage to keep them out of trouble with the handspike. I let him take the helm, while the rest began a thorough search, all keeping abreast with lanterns. We left no corner unsearched. As there were only the big wooden boxes, there were no odd corners where a man could hide. Men much relieved went search over, and went back to work cheerfully. First mate scowled, but said nothing. 22nd of July. Rough weather last few days, and all hands busy with sails, no time to be frightened. Men seem to have forgotten their dread. Mate cheerful again, and all on good terms. Praised men for work in bad weather. Past Gibraltar and out through straits. All well. 24th of July. There seems some doom over this ship. Already a hand short and entering the Bay of Biscay with wild weather ahead, and yet last night another man lost, disappeared. Like the first, he came off his watch and was not seen again. Men all in a panic, sent around Robin asking to have double watch as they feared to be alone. Mate angry. Fear there will be some trouble, as either he or the men will do some violence. 28th of July. Four days in hell, knocking about in some sort of maelstrom and the wind a tempest. No sleep for anyone. Men all worn out. Hardly know how to set a watch since no one fit to go on. Second mate volunteered to steer and watch and let men snatch a few hours sleep. Wind abating, seas still terrific, but feel them less as ship is steadier. 29th of July. Another tragedy. Had single watch tonight as crew too tired to double. When morning watch came on deck could find no one except steersman. Raised outcry and all came on deck. Thorough search but no one found. And now without second mate and crew in a panic... Mate and I agreed to go around henceforth and wait for any sign of cause. 30th of July. Last night. Rejoiced we are nearing England. Weather fine, all sails set. Retired, worn out, slept soundly, awakened by mate telling me that both man of watch and steersman missing. Only self and mate and two hands left to work ship. 1st of August. Two days of fog, and not a sail sighted. Had hoped when in the English Channel to be able to signal for help or get in somewhere, not having power to work sails, have to run before wind, dare not lower, as could not raise them again. We seem to be drifting to some terrible doom. Mate now more demoralized than either of men. His stronger nature seemed to have worked inwardly against him. Men are beyond fear, working stolidly and patiently, with minds made up to the worst. They are Russian, he Romanian. 2nd of August, midnight. Woke up from few minutes' sleep by hearing a cry, seemingly outside my port. Could see nothing in fog. Rushed on deck and ran against mate. Tells me he heard cry and ran, but no sign of man on watch. One more gone. Lord, help us. Mate says we must get past Straits of Dover, as in a moment of fog lifting he saw North Foreland, just as he heard the man cry out. If so, we are now off in the North Sea, and only God can guide us in the fog, which seems to move with us, and God seems to have deserted us. 3rd of August. At midnight I went to relieve the man at the wheel, and when I got to it found no one there. The wind was steady, and as we ran before it there was no yawing. I dared not leave it, so shouted for the mate. After a few seconds he rushed up on deck in his flannels. He looked wild-eyed and haggard, and I greatly fear his reason has given way. He came close to me and whispered hoarsely with his mouth to my ear, as though fearing the very air might hear. It is here. I know it now. 
on the watch last night I saw it like a man tall and thin and ghostly pale it was in the bows and looking out I crept behind it and I gave it my knife but the knife went through it empty as the air and as he spoke he took the knife and drove it savagely into space then he went on but it is here and I'll find it it is in the hold perhaps in one of those boxes I'll unscrew them one by one and see you work the helm and with a warning look and his finger on his lip he went below there was springing up a choppy wind and I could not leave the helm I saw him come out on deck again with a tool chest and lantern and go down the forward hatchway he is mad stuck raving mad and it's no use my trying to stop him he can't hurt those big boxes they are invoiced as clay and to put them about it is as harmless a thing as he can do so here i stay and mind the helm and write these notes i can only trust in god and wait till the fog clears then if i can't steer to any harbour with the wind that is i shall cut down sails and lie by and signal for help it is nearly all over now just as i was beginning to hope that the mate would come out calmer for i heard him knocking away at something in the hold and work is good for him there came up the hatchway a sudden startled scream which made my blood run cold and up on the deck he came as if shot from a gun a raging madman with his eyes rolling his face convulsed with fear save me save me he cried and then looked round on the blanket of fog his horror turned to despair and in a steady voice he said you had better come too captain before it is too late he is there i know the secret now the sea will save me from him and it is all that is left before i could say a word or move forward to seize him he sprang on the bulwark and deliberately threw himself into the sea i suppose i know the secret too now it was this madman who had got rid of the men one by one and now he has followed them himself god help me how am i supposed to account for all these horrors when i get to port when i get to port Will that ever be? 4th of August. Still fog, which the sunrise cannot pierce. I know there is sunrise because I am a sailor. Why else I know not. I dared not go below. I dared not leave the helm. So here all night I stayed, and in the dimness of the night I saw it. Him. God forgive me, but the mate was right to jump overboard. It was better to die like a man, to die like a sailor in the blue water. No man can object. But I am a captain, and I must not leave my ship. But I shall baffle this fiend or monster, for I shall tie my hands to the wheel when my strength begins to fail, and along with them I shall tie for which he, it, dares not touch, and then... Come good wind or foul, I shall save my soul and my honour as captain. I am growing weaker, and the night is coming on. If he can look me in the face again, I may not have time to act. If we are wrecked, maybe this bottle may be found, and those who find it may understand. If not, well... Then all men shall know that I have been true to my trust. God and the Blessed Virgin and the saints help a poor, ignorant soul trying to do his duty. And that was the Log of the Demeter from the novel Dracula. I hope you enjoyed that as well. This, uh, when I was reading, when I was listening to to Dracula, I was looking for a for a segment from it, and I was looking at kind of the parts where Dracula as a character is introduced by by Jonathan Harker, the young solicitor, who goes to Transylvania to the house of Count Dracula, and it's really good. You know, the thing I've been talking to about with people about it is vampires have obviously in the last twenty years been more and more increasingly sexualized. 
you know, you have uh, the Anne Rice, the Lestat uh, novels, so the interview with the vampire movie that came out. Uh, you obviously have the Twilight series and you have True Blood. You know, so vampires have been sexualized for a long time, but my God, Dracula is a sexy, sexy character in, in the novel. And it is an incredibly sexualized book. And it's a, considering it was written in the 1800s, it, it's a gripping, gripping novel still. You know, it's still the OG. And you you read, you read any of these lists of like the greatest horror books, the greatest gothic books, the greatest books about from around Halloween and everything. Dracula is the one of all of them, even more than Jekyll and Hyde, more, even more than Frankenstein that always appears on them as one of the just the greatest novels ever and it's it's brilliant and i recommend it to anyone and but i just i really liked the log of the demeter because it was almost like a self-contained tale uh, this just this horror story from the sea of this creature lurking on the ship and yes without spoiling too much this is the ship of how dracula gets from castle transylvania over to england by stowing away and picking off this crew one by one and all remaining but this log so that was our novel extract we've had our poem our novel extract now I'm going to read uh, something equally Halloween-y but very different in tone certainly this is one I only thought of this just before recording really so one of the best one of the film directors we always think about at Halloween of course is Tim Burton I was obsessed with Tim Burton when I was a kid. In particular, the part that I'm still really obsessed with is The Nightmare Before Christmas. It is, I call it the perfect November movie because it's Halloween and Christmas, so November's the perfect time to watch it because you can really watch it at either or. It's a, it's a troubled child in that regard, and that's, that works really well with, with the plot of the story as well. But uh, Tim Burton reached, um reached released this book of short stories uh, called The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy and other stories where he wrote these stories and did these illustrations. I think it came out in about 2009. But a lot of these stories and these images from it really stayed with me and they are very, they are very like dark gothic little folk tales in their in their own. So I'd like to read the title story from it. It's quite short and it's very strange but if you haven't, if you haven't read it, uh, I recommend picking up this book of short stories. And uh, if you have read it, I hope you enjoy hearing it being read out aloud. This is The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy by Tim Burton. The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy He proposed in the dunes. They were wed by the sea. Their nine-day-long honeymoon was on the Isle of Capri. For their supper, they had one spectacular dish, a simmering stew of mollusks and fish. And while he savoured the broth, her bride's heart made a wish. That wish came true. She gave birth to a baby. But was this little one human? Well, maybe. Ten fingers, ten toes, he had plumbing in sight. He could hear, he could feel... But normal? Not quite. This unnatural birth, this canker, this blight, was the start and the end and the sum of their plight. She railed at the doctor. He cannot be mine. He smells of the ocean, of seaweed and brine. You should count yourself lucky, for only last week I treated a girl with three ears and a beak. That your son is half oyster, you cannot blame me. Have you ever considered, by chance, a small home by the sea? Not knowing what to name him, they just called him Sam. Or sometimes, that thing that looks like a clam. Everyone wondered, but no one could tell. When would young Oyster Boy come out of his shell? When the Thompson quadruplets espied him one day, they called him a bivalve and ran quickly away. One spring afternoon, Sam was left in the rain at the southwestern corner of Seaview and Maine. He watched the rainwater as it swirled down the drain. His mom on the freeway in the breakdown lane was pounding the dashboard. She couldn't contain the ever-rising grief, frustration, and pain. 
Really, sweetheart, she said. I don't mean to make fun, but something smells fishy and I think it's our son. I don't like to say this, but it must be said. You're blaming our son for your problems in bed. He tried salves, he tried ointments that turned everything red. He tried potions and lotions and tincture of lead. He ached and he itched and he twitched and he bled. The doctor diagnosed, I can't quite be sure, but the cause of the problem may also be the cure. They say oysters improve your sexual powers. Perhaps eating your son would help you do it for hours. He came on tiptoe. He came on the sly. Sweat on his forehead and on his lips a lie. Son, are you happy? I don't mean to pry. But do you dream of heaven? Have you ever wanted to die? Sam blinked his eye twice but made no reply. Dad fingered his knife and loosened his tie. As he picked up his son, Sam dripped on his coat. With the shell to his lips, Sam slipped down his throat. They buried him quickly in the sand by the sea. Sighed a prayer, wept a tear, and they were back home by three. A cross of grey driftwood marked Oyster Boy's grave. Words writ in the sand promised Jesus would save. But his memory was lost with one high tide wave. That was the melancholy death of Oyster Boy by Tim Burton. It's it was even weirder than I remembered it when I was looking it up. It's dark as all hell, my God. Because it's it's hard. Tim Burton is so sanitized now. He's now he's now Disney goth. Has been since. Jesus, when could you say? I even I even think like I'm I'm a big apologist for his. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake because it's it's really twisted and weird and much more like the Roald Dahl novel as brilliant as much better at uh, Willy Wonka as Gene Wilder is I think I actually think that Tim Burton's one is a better film but certainly since like Alice in Wonderland onwards he has become such a sanitized PG version of himself and yet this book was written quite late. Now, of course, it's it's full of weird and wonderful stories that could never be made into movies. You could certainly never see Tim Burton now making a movie about uh, about a couple, about a couple having a child that turned out to be half oyster and then them proceeding to eat the child to increase their sexual powers so that they might have another. You know, when you say it like that, you're you're just going, wow, there's something up in that lad's head. But I love it, and uh, I really recommend getting the full book, The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy and Other Stories, because uh, his illustrations in it are are as weird and wonderful and dark and twisted as the stories themselves. And I hope you enjoyed that one as well. And we have come to the final part of our Halloween special, which is our song. So a lot of this... Um, before before I got the we got the go ahead for the dumb podcast festival, um, I had had uh, some ideas about doing a live podcast uh, for Halloween, but it just ended up being too close to the podcast festival. I would rather, um, and I, I need to put all of the effort into the development and the producing of the podcast festival, as it's such a such a big boost and it'll be such a big show for the podcast. But there was a point where I was trying to find like Irish or just even not even necessarily Irish, but just Halloween songs are quite hard to find. You know, when we think of how many countless, countless Christmas songs there are over the centuries right up to now. Um, and when you think of Halloween songs, what do you think of? You think of Thriller, which isn't even you know, it's not supposed to be a Halloween song, it's just from a normal album. You've got uh, The Monster Mash, I guess. You've got, uh, I suppose, the soundtrack of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Maybe the soundtrack of The Nightmare Before Christmas. But it gets it gets immediately quite hard. I mean, you look at Spotify, for example, they have Halloween playlists, and it gets very obscure very, very quickly, like Disturbia by Rihanna, you know, mixed in with... Ghostbusters theme. Ghostbusters, you'll give somewhat of a past, but Disturbia is definitely a bit of a stretch. 
But there was one song, one Irish folk song that came immediately to mind to me, which has been one I've always known and have always loved. And it's a great pleasure. We set this up now. It's a great pleasure to, uh, for the first time, be playing um, my new mandolin in the studio. Um, this is a story that, uh, this is a song rather, that has various different sources. Like any good folk tale, it's hard to know exactly where it came from. They think it uh, originated in the famine, funnily enough. Um, it's a story, it's a song known by various different different names. Like I would know it as Wheela Wheela Walia, and that I'm sure many people listening will go, oh, immediately. And it was ultimately most famously known as a song that city people sang to their children to scare their children away from the country. It was the country was known as this dangerous, this dangerous place that city folk knew nothing about and they didn't want their children going out there because the theory was that in the country, the, the mothers ate their young, they murdered their young and so stay well away from them. And this song was originally performed by the Clancy Brothers, but it made most famous, I certainly think, by Ronnie Drew from the Dubliners. And it has since become a children's song, which if if you haven't heard the song before, you'll wonder immediately how that was ever the case. But I'll sing the song for you now. This is Wheela Wheela Walia. Oh, there was an old woman and she lived in the woods. A wheela wheela walia. There was an old woman and she lived in the woods down by the river Salia. She had a baby three months old. Wheela wheela walia. She had a baby three months old down by the river Salia. She had a penknife long and sharp. Wheela wheela walia. She had a penknife long and sharp down by the river Salia. She stuck that penknife in the baby's heart. Wheela wheela walia. She stuck that penknife in the baby's heart down by the river Salia. Well, three loud knocks came a knocking on the door. Wheela wheela walia. Three loud knocks came a knocking on the door down by the river Salia. It was two policemen and a man. Wheela wheela walia. Two policemen and a man down by the river Salia. Well, they took her away and they put her in the jail. Wheela wheela walia. Took her away and they put her in the jail down by the river Salia. They put the rope around her neck. Wheela wheela walia. They put the rope around her neck down by the river Salia. They pulled the rope and she got hung. Wheela wheela walia. They put the rope and she got hung. Down by the river Salia. Well, that was the end of the woman in the woods. Wheela wheela walia. That was the end of the baby too. Down by the river Salia. The old tale of the woman of the woods on Fireside. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you will have heard that song before. Maybe not for many years. I was only practicing that song last night in my apartment. And my flatmate Lola was sitting at the door having a smoke. And I was just kind of strumming gently away, trying to keep quiet. And she was like, is that the song about the woman who stabs the baby? And I went, yeah, it is. That was that was like a children's song. We were taught that. Why was that? I said, yeah, no, you wouldn't you wouldn't have it today. It's actually as it it has been a song that has faded from popularity. Some could say for obvious reasons, but uh, it is it is a wonderful song, and it was it was really fun to try and look up research about it because folk songs particularly can often be hard to find. You know, exact sources about what they're about or where they came from. 
so yeah it's thought that it came from the famine where uh where women couldn't afford to feed their children so they they murdered them rather than li- let them live to starve and then yes it became this this city this dublin song to uh, to frighten children away from going to the country where it was unknown where people were wild or savage and that phrase wheel wheel walia it's thought that that comes from an old irish ex exclamation meaning grief and then it just developed over time into that uh, it's very hard to find out where the river salia is um there's a theory that it's that it's actually the river poddle which is the other river that runs under Dublin, under the, other than the Liffey, which was known as the River Salloch, uh, meaning the dirty river in Irish. But then again, if this is supposed to be a story set in the countryside, it may just be a totally other river entirely. You can find some version of the story where it's the River Sawyer, which uh, relocates or may just be a mis- mishearing of it. There's loads of different versions of it. There is a version you can hear where it's Ronnie Drew and a group of children singing it, which is particularly terrifying. But it's the the real classic Dubliners version that's that's certainly on their 50 years anniversary album. That's absolutely wonderful. And yes, I it was it was a great pleasure to play my new mandolin, which I bought, which I wanted to incorporate more into this podcast, which will be a huge part. There will be many more songs and stories and more mandolin in the Fireside Sessions on November 10th, Sunday, November 10th, here in the podcast studios as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival. So do come along to that Sunday 10th for Tales, Tunes and a Tipple. That is BYOB. Bring along, make yourself a hot whiskey, sit down and listen to some tales and some tunes while you have a drink. Um, But that just about wraps up our fireside Halloween special. It was different. I had a whole lot of fun doing it, and I really hope you enjoyed it too. As a recap, we had we had The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. We had an extract from Dracula. We had the short story of the melancholy death of Oyster Boy. And we finished off with Wheelie Wheelie Walia. Which again, yes, when it's hard to find Halloween songs, I actually think there's no there's no spookier, more eerie kind of tale than Wheelie Wheelie Walia. And perhaps now it will enter the, the pantheon of uh, of Halloween songs. So I hope you all have a very happy and very spooky Halloween. I will see you all next week when we dive back into Irish mythology, when we have a crack at the Ulster cycle. We are finally at the climax of our first year of Fireside. This was episode number 47. If you can believe it, we're so close to the year mark now as we uh, as we enter into our final chapter of of Irish mythology, certainly. Where will we begin? Who knows? But do let me know what you thought of this episode if you would like to hear more kind of things like this. I know a few weeks ago when I did The Madness of King Sweeney, I read some extracts from different novels. Let me know if you thought it was good. Let me know if you thought it was the worst thing in the world, even. I may be a bit hurt, but it's what I want to know. This is a... This is a socialist model podcast. This it, it takes you guys listening to it for me to keep doing it every week. So and I want us to all enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it as much as I'd enjoy writing and recording it. So thanks as always to the folks here at Headstuff, Alan and Paddy. Thanks to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit and produce this podcast. And thank you all so much for listening. Please do follow us at Fireside Bard on Instagram. Please do come along. Last few tickets available for the Fireside Sessions on Sunday, November ter- November tenth, Sunday, November tenth at seven PM in the podcast studios here in Dublin. Tickets available from Ticketmaster.com forward slash fireside podcast. Evening of storytelling, folklore, mythology, tales, tunes, and a tipple. And I will see you all and you will hear me all next time. Round the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.